0: Hey guys, welcome to Inside and Out. Today we have our host, Micah Marino, as well as our guests, Nathan Gordon and Jonathan Lidskin. Our special guest for today is John Becker, a Miami of Ohio student who is heavily involved in all things baseball. John, how are you?
1: Great, how are you guys doing?
0: Good. Good. So, um, we're going to start off with some of the stuff I, I've been hearing. Uh, specifically, I, I tweeted about Arenado that I, I've heard... That, that pretty much the floodgates are open uh the the phone was cl- uh was off, and now it's on um as well as Marte to the Mets as a possibility, and bets and price what's one big trade you really want to see happen before opening day?
1: I think bets and price is a good one, just considering the amount of money they're both making um they're combined to make let's see here they're combined to make thirty two plus twenty cents they're combined to make fifty nine million dollars in. 2020. So um, I can't really think of a trade involving that much in one season's salary going to one team. So just to to see how that would work would be really interesting to me if if another team would have to send a a big contract back, like the Padres with Wilt Myers, for example, um, or if the the Red Sox are just fine taking on lesser prospects to get a lot of money off
2: the books. Yeah, now out of all these guys that are going around, like these rumors are going around – which one of these guys do you think is most likely to be traded?
1: Um, not one of the ones that you mentioned, but I think Chris Bryant. They're just waiting on I agree. his grievance settlement um, to happen, which I've been hearing soon for months now. So I'm not really sure when that's going to happen. Um, I would hope, think by like February 1st. Um, but clearly, I think that decision has kind of held their whole offseason hostage. Um, I would think Arenado's probably more likely than Betts, only because, like I was saying earlier, the, the calculus of figuring out the money with him and Price, if they're insisting on packaging um, the two together, I think would be really difficult to get something done, at least right now.
3: And you recently just touched on the Cubs. How ridiculous is it that the Cubs haven't signed a single free agent?
1: Um. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. I get, you know, I understand the... Luxury tax implications being what they are, but they're only $5 million over the luxury tax. I think they pay a 20% overage, so right now that would be a million dollars. You know, we're not talking about the $248 million line where their top draft pick would move down 10 places. We're talking about just paying 20% on the overages. So um, after a really underwhelming season where they only won 84 games, it's really surprising to see them. Either content to just run it back and see if they back, or run it back minus Chris Bryant and, and still claim to be contenders.
0: Which teams do you think have more transactions left? We're nearing, um, at least for most teams, pitchers and catch uh, pitchers and catchers reporting. Which which teams do you think really have some some more moves to make?
1: It's hard to say because. The free agent market is basically done. Um, Castellanos is the big one left now. Um, Yazio Puit is still out there. A few interesting pitchers are out there. But um, I, I think it's pretty obvious that the Rangers need another hitter or two. Um, you know, adding Kluber and, and Gibson and Lyles, giving themselves a really, really good rotation. Um, but outside of Todd Frazier, Adams to Nomar Mazar not really doing anything with the offense at all. So, I think they've got a move in them, whether it's Castellanos or if they go big or Arenado or Bryant remains to be seen. But I'd be
0: shocked if the offense they have right now is the offense they go into the season with. Now, I, I think it's, obviously it's late, right? So most, most of the key offensive free agents have gone. I think one of the bigger ones that's kind of under the wire is Brock Holt. Uh, we heard the Blue Jays are interested in him. We heard, uh, I think it was the Reds. Where do you think he could really make... Where is he a good fit? Where can he make, uh, you know, some serious damage at the plate? I, I think he's a great fit for
1: anyone because he's a left-handed hitter. He can play anywhere except for center field, and even if he had to, he could, and, and catcher and pitcher. Um, but, yeah, in terms of playing time and, and thus where he could do the most damage, I think the Cubs, ironically enough, make a lot of sense. They've been looking for more contact hitters, and if Ben Stober selects to retire um, and that door is closed, then I think he'd be a really good option to step into that role. Um, his former team, the Red Sox, don't seem very interested after signing Jose Peraza, but he'd be a good fit back there. He'd be a good fit with the White Sox as a, as a second baseman stopgap until Magigal is ready or they're ready for him um, and then could bounce around the diamond. Really, it's hard to say because so many teams could use that could, Really, every team could use him. So it's pretty interesting that we've only seen two teams with known interest in him. Um, and I, I, I'm curious to find out if it's he's looking for a multi-year and everyone's offering a one-year or there just really isn't that much interest in him at all, despite the versatility.
2: Yeah, so you mentioned the White Sox and how they would be a good fit for him. Now, the White Sox obviously had one of the biggest off-seasons out of any team in baseball. So where do you think they stand in 2020 and like, what, what, do you, what are your expectations for them?
1: I think they're still a five hundred ish, let's say eighty to eighty five win team with wild card potential. To me they don't look as good as the twins and they don't look quite as good as Cleveland. On um, that being said, if Ronaldo Lopez bounces back, if Dallas Keuchel is still pretty good, if Aaron Bummer is still really good out of the bullpen, um if Jose Abreu kind of stops his decline, I think that they can still be that they could be a better team. They could be more like a ninety-one team. But I think there's a lot that would have to go right. Um, and looking at their depth, there's not a lot there, at least for as far as 2020 is concerned. Of course, they've got Andrew Vaughn coming down the pipeline along with Nick Madrigal. But um, in terms of impact guys not on their roster, I think you're you're limiting you're limiting yourselves to to Madrigal being an impact maybe Blake Rutherford um, maybe Dan Dunning at some point but the, this isn't like the Angels where they've got a pretty good looking team and they also have Joe Adele coming down the pipe not that um, L- Luis Robert is no slouch himself but um, you know, there's no telling how he'll do in his rookie season
0: right so there's kind of this like there's a few teams that have have either had big uh, you know free agent uh, they've been doing a lot of things in the free agent market. they made trades. So be it. Um, there's really three teams that stick out to me, in my mind, that I think they are still far away, at least won't make the playoffs, I'll say. Um, those three teams being the Reds, the Phillies, and the White Sox. You think it's crazy to say that they're not playoff teams, or is is there one of them or a few of them that you think have a serious shot?
1: I think it's Crazy to say they're definitely not playoff teams, I but agree. at the same time, it wouldn't surprise me if none of them made the playoffs. I think the, the NL Central can continue, continue to be something of a buzzsaw where we could have every team but the Pirates in between 80 and 90 ish wins. Um, the White Sox, like I said, I think the Twins are clearly better. And, you know, the Phillies, for as big as their last offseason was, um only ended up in fourth place at eighty one and eighty one and their big addition was Zach Wheeler who's who's good but has not taken that step forward yet. So um, you know, where they are remains to be seen. I think that of the three teams, I think the Reds are in the best position with um having the having the most well rounded offseason, I'll say, of the three, because they have a really good rotation now, which I would say is the best of the three. Um, they have Mike Moustakis in the middle of their lineup. Um, they have Shogo Akiyama at the top of their lineup, and they have a lot of depth. They have um, Tyler Stevenson, who could potentially help a catcher down the line. Um, they have um, Nick Senzel, who was their starting center field last year, but right now be more of a platoon guy um, for the time being, or a trade ship. Um, so I think that in, they don't need to have as much go right to be a good team, um, but they obviously don't have as high of a ceiling as the White Sox with with Luis Robert and Moncada Moncada um, being really dynamic, or the Phillies with, with Aaron Nola, who could potentially get back to um, his 2018 form and Bryce Harper and, and J.T. Real Muto.
0: With what you're saying about the Reds, I also think that they could, like, it's not unreasonable to think that Nick Castellanos could go to the Reds. I think there's a good fit there. Um, I, I think they've just... At least from... I've talked to a few Reds fans, and they're voicing their displeasure. Like, they've added a bunch of... I wouldn't say mediocre, but not at the caliber they're desiring in terms of outfielders, right? Like, Shogo Akiyama is is a good player. Uh, well, we don't really know, but we're assuming he's a good player. They've had a lot of what looks like depth pieces. Um, I think they could still be in play for Casty. I think Nate has a question
3: about... Like, teams, what, what's yeah. the question? Um, so you touched on some teams from all the different divisions. Um, who are your top picks from each division and why?
1: All right, let's start easy. Um, on L.S., Dodgers, yeah. there's obviously, I mean, yeah. they, it was a boat race last year. There's no reason to believe that it won't be this year. I I, I like what the Diamondbacks did this offseason. I like what the Padres did this offseason, but they're still not in that league. Um... Mm-hmm. AL Central or uh, NL Central is the toughest one. Um, mm-hmm. and the Cardinals lost Ozuna, but they're they're banking on steps forward and bounce backs from from Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, Dexter Fowler, so. I I may as well just stick with them, but, you know, again, the Reds are kind of sneaking up on everybody. The Cubs haven't done anything. The Brewers lost Grendel and Moustakis and have just kind of had a more depth-focused offseason. So I think that's the toughest one. Um, the East, um, even though the Nationals won the World Series, the Braves won the division last year and pretty much filled all their holes. I mean, they replaced Keuchel with Hamels. They lost Julio Tehran. Um, They got Will Smith to shore up the bullpen, and they basically replaced Donaldson with Ozuna while hoping for um, an Austin-Riley breakout. So I I think that they'll probably win the division again. Obviously, anything can happen, but um, the Nationals losing Rendon makes it tough for them. Um, AL West, um, Astros, I think that the punishments for the sign-stealing might kind of close their window to some extent after the 2020 season with, with Springer being a free agent. Um, you know, and Verlander and are just getting a year older, but for now there's no reason to believe it's not them. Um, AL Central, I think, will be the Twins again. Um, Donaldson turned what was a pretty good off season into a, a really, really good off season. And for my money, the most high powered offense in baseball once again. Um, and then the
2: AL East, I'll take the Yankees. Um, basically, the same team plus Garrett Cole mm-hmm. um,
1: makes you probably the best team in baseball.
2: Yeah. So, you mentioned obviously the Astros still probably the favorites out west. Um but obviously the, the huge news is that they caught they cheated, they got caught. This whole sign stealing scandal. So, they get the, they get the punishments for the suspensions and and the co- the coaches and the front office. Did you think these punishments were fair, light or heavy in terms of the impact they will make?
1: Um I think they were fair in terms of what the commissioner could have realistically done, knowing that he was not going to punish the players because he said in 2017 when he sent the memo out to teams about don't do this kind of thing, that um, the the manager and the GM would be held accountable and also implied that players would receive immunity in exchange for being honest with the league, and that's what happened. Um, a $5 million fine to a billionaire owner isn't much at all, but that's the most he's allowed to under the Constitution um, of Major League Baseball. Um, I think the draft picks going back are, are probably the, the biggest deal um, because, you know, Jeff Lunau and A.J. Hinch were both very integral parts of that organization, but at the same time, it's about the players and all the players are still there. The draft picks going back, even if it's late first round draft picks, or sorry, not going back removes completely first and second round. Um, their first pick is going to be at the back end of the third round, assuming they're still one of the top teams in um, 2020. So they're not going to have an impact in the draft um, at all, really, unless they can, you know, unless someone falls all the way to them in the third round. But even then, um, so I, I think it was pretty fair. I, I understand the. The displeasure from a lot of people um regarding the fine being pretty light and the players not being punished, but ultimately that's basically what Manfred could do, knowing that he promised the player's immunity and that and that five million dollars is the most that he could have fined
3: and adding on to this whole scandal, we saw Alex Cora a key part of installing the cameras with the banging on the dugout. We saw him get fired. I think that was pretty fitting, but did you think that Carlos Beltran should have been fired, and do you think that the Mets replacement in Luis Rojas was a good uh, sign? I
1: think Beltran being explicitly named in the report as involved in it, and not admitting to being involved in it during his interview kind of left the Mets with with nothing better to do than basically say, like, you've got to step down or we're going to fire you. I just think it would have presented too much of a distraction, um, to the team trying to take that step forward in 2020. I think Rojas was about as good of a pick as they could have made this late in the game. Um, he's obviously very respected by, um, his players. No one has a bad thing to say about him. Um, It's funny, it's kind of a safe pick because he knows the organization so well, but it's also a risky pick because he's 38 and has no um, major league managerial experience, but fortunately for him, he's got Hensley Mullins in the dugout to lean on. He's got Tony Francesco in the dugout to lean on, so um, that combined with him knowing the organization so well and being so beloved by his players, I think it's a really good pick the more and more I've looked into it. Yeah,
2: John, I want to kind of go back to uh, Carlos Beltran and you said earlier in the podcast that, like, what matters for the Astros is that the players were still there, and n- none of the players were pu- were punished for any, any sort of, um any p- any part of this scandal. And Carlos Beltran, now as a manager, was a player then when this scandal was going on for the Astros. He was, go- was going to be fired. So, like, I don't, like, necessarily agree with you in the fact that I think he should have been fired because just just because like like you said like the the players like are they're still there like the they didn't have to suspend any players or anything so i think it's just a little unfair that Beltron was in this position to be fired yet any players the Astros still have weren't in the position to be suspended so i i guess what i'm trying to say is say is like why do you think like that it's fair for the players like Altuve and Springer to not get suspended but Beltron now in a managerial position to be fired? Well, I think, regardless of the
3: justification of him being named in the report, Beltron
1: was named in the report as explicitly being a part of it. So it's kind of hard to just turn away from that, in my opinion. And secondly, it's hard to be in a position of authority for a team, especially a non Astros team, when. You know, Marcus Stroman is treated, tweeting about how bad the sign stealing was, and active players everywhere are tweeting about how bad the sign stealing was and, and how pissed off they are about it. And then to be in a position of authority over those players and have to manage a team that's going to be playing teams with players who are, um, you know, annoyed at him personally. I think that clearly his, he was very contrite about it, and he was, he felt really bad about it. And I think his apology was really sincere, but ultimately. Um I think it created a really awkward situation for the Mets where they weren't a part of it at all except for Carlos Beltran, and they just kind of ha- almost had to distance themselves from it.
0: So um, I wanted to touch on the managerial hirings. Uh, the Mets, they got their guy, Luis Rojas, but we still have two other organizations in the Astros and the Red Sox that have yet to, to really solve that hole. Um, I know I've gone back and forth with you. I know you're a huge Dusty guy. Um, who do you think really is out there that, you know, we still have Buck Showalter. I thought Joe Espada should have gotten a job in the first place. Who do you think really is is a good fit for some of these gigs?
1: I think um, the Astros just need someone who can come in to their clubhouse and just kind of immediately be that you know commanding presence. the combination of being an, an authoritative figure with experience but also the guy who can say okay like I don't care who cheated I don't care who didn't cheat A we're not going to do that anymore and B we're just going to play like you know as best as you can without listening to that outside noise so I think someone in that book show alter John Gibbons Dusty Baker group of having years of experience um, I, I think a spot is definitely ready for a job I just don't know if promoting from within is the thing that the Astros would want to do um, right now. And I think the Red Sox kind of in a similar situation with their own science dealing accusations, um, getting someone more experienced, but kind of the longer this goes on without hearing about any external candidates, it seems more and more likely to me and, and to people reporting on the Red Sox that they'll probably just go internal with someone like, like Ron Ronicky, who, who's currently their bench
3: coach. All right, I'm going to change up the topic a little bit. And the other day we saw two guys made it into the Hall of Fame. Personally, I'm a huge Yankees fan, and I mean, I'm not really sure what to say, but we saw Derek Jeter was one vote short of being unanimous. Do you think that he should have been? Do you think the, sh- the reporter that didn't vote for him should be reveal himself, or talk to me about it?
1: I don't think it matters. I so I think first of all, with the the anonymity thing, I am in favor of all writers being public with their votes. They are mm-hmm. for all of the awards yep. voting. Yep. They voted at the winter
3: meetings a couple of years ago
1: that they would all go public. It was like an eighty to nine landslide vote. But then the Hall of Fame turned them down, believing that it would change the voting process. Um, but as, as for being unanimous, I don't really care. Um, honestly, it's about getting the 75% to make it in. I think the whole un- unanimity debate is just kind of overblown every single year, um, whether it was Kenny you Jr. not being unanimous, Rivera being unanimous, Derek Jeter expe- almost expected to be unanimous and then not. Um, you know, And we don't know why he wasn't. We don't know if it was a there are 11 players I really want to vote for situation. I know Jeter is going to make it in, so I'll leave him off. Or it could have been an unintentional oversight that they didn't have to think about Jeter at all, so they forgot to vote for him. Um, You know, we really don't know what it was, so I don't think the the voters should have to reveal themselves as long as they don't have to. Um, But at the same time, I think that it kind of reignites the debate of if you're going to not make – a vote for Derek Jeter, you should probably, the process should probably be overhauled to where your vote should be made public. But then you can explain yourself and say, well, I thought there there were 11 guys I wanted to vote for. I knew Derek Jeter was going to make it. And let's say, you know, Bobby Abreu barely cleared the 5% threshold. I really wanted to make sure I voted for Bobby Abreu and I didn't really care about Derek Jeter being unanimous. And to me, that's a good argument. Um, But I do think that, you know, you shouldn't be able to hide behind being granted anonymity if you if you want to be anonymous because um, I was listening to Derek Gould who covers the Cardinals talk about his ballot in podcast last week and he said you know to me when I sign that ballot it's like a byline it's like a, an article I put out there and I want to stand behind that vote so I think that all writers should be able to stand behind their vote and if they're not comfortable with that then they don't have to vote
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah now I want to talk about the other Hall of Fam- now Hall of Famer Larry Walker and the argument against him was that he played in Colorado so his stats were inflated. And my opinion on that is I don't think you should be able to use playing in Colorado as an argument against the Hall of Fame. Because one, if it's an argument, then you shouldn't have a team there. And second of all, he only played one-third of his career games in Colorado. Now, what do you th- what do you think about this, and what's your opinion?
1: Yeah, I mean, it it's bogus to me because... It's it wasn't half of his games. It was like thirty one percent of his games, I think. It you know, he didn't choose to play there. I think he was first, first traded there. Um, like you said, you know, if you're gonna treat Coors Field as like a an unfair playground, then you probably shouldn't have it. Um and I think, you know, finally there's a lot of park adjusted stats. W R C plus is park-adjusted, and Larry Walker was 40% better than league average, which is ridiculously good. War is park-adjusted. Larry Walker was at between 68 and 75, depending on where you look, which is above the 65-ish benchmark that you typically think of a Hall of Famer. So, no, I don't buy that argument at all, and I think that he should have been a Hall of Famer a long time ago, and I'm just glad that he made it um, in his last year on the bench.
2: Yeah, and then just to kind of add on to your point, like, I think if you're going to use Colorado as an argument, like I think you also have to consider like lefties who put it at Fenway for example. Like that's a, a line drive that that deep goes out goes out there where it may not go out as other at other parks. So I just think narrowing it down to just cores sh- should not keep you out of the Hall of Fame. Right. So I'm am a huge Mets
0: fan and my family's full of Mets fans, so I, I got to ask this. Every year, I get my hopes up i think we're we're going to the playoffs, and then just so happens that less than half half of the time that's the case so I actually th- think and, and and realize there is bias here. I think they I, I my prediction is they win the division, which is like really not popular and I get that. I want you to tell me that that I'm either really wrong or possibly right. What do you think
1: i mean I- I mean, I think you're possibly right. If you look at um, projected wins above replacement on fan graphs, um, the Mets right now are at 44.1, which is sixth best in all of baseball. It's the best in the NL East. It's best um, in uh, the National League behind the Dodgers, second best in the National League behind the Dodgers. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you're you're you could be right. The issue is that those were projections – Use projected playing time, which doesn't assume any injuries. And the Mets' issue has always been their depth. And every year they build a really good front 26, 27, 28 guys, and then five or six injuries later they're playing Renee Rivera and Matt Dundecker and <laughs> yeah, um, Luis Guillorme. This Diorme. is true. Um, so, you know, it. I, You never want to assume that they stay healthy, and yet the Mets seem to assume every year that they're going to make it through the season healthy. Um, So right now I think you're closer to right, but also knowing that they could trade
0: Judd Lowry to clear some salary, they could trade Joanna Cespedes to to
1: clear some salary. That just further weakens the depth um, because right now they don't have any prospects knocking on the door at triple a so you're right they're really relying on health and players playing up to their projections which obviously leaves them with just a really really large error bars where i could see them winning 95 games and i could see them winning 75 70 games if they get ravaged by injuries or guys regress
3: right i know it's pretty far away but who do you have winning at all what's your world series matchup
1: um, I'll go Yankees over Dodgers, which is kind of a cop-out because, to me, those are clearly the two best teams. Um, but, you know, I, like I was talking about with the Mets, I think depth is so important, and the Dodgers, every year, have just an insane amount of depth. I mean, right now, their bench is um, Austin Barnes and Matt Beatty and Kike Hernandez and Chris Taylor and maybe even A.J. Pollock. I mean, those are guys that most teams would gladly take as starters that the Dodgers are going to have on their bench. The Yankees um, don't have a starting spot for Clint Frazier. They don't have Davey Garcia in their rotation right now. Um, Estevan Florial could be ready. Aaron Hicks comes back midseason. Miguel Andujar might not even be a starter right now. So you, you think of all the possibilities in your head of all these bad things that could happen, and I just think of the Yankees and Dodgers both as being really good teams on paper with full health, but also having the depth to withstand a lot of injuries just like the Yankees withstood last season and still won over hundred games.
0: So I think the Astros I'm just confused about the Astros to be honest with you, because I think on paper they're the best team in baseball, question mark. I think they are. Um I just think you've you got to factor in the suspensions, right? So that they're now playing with a new manager, uh, a new front office, but really that doesn't show on on the field. And probably the biggest effect is that they're no longer cheating, which is, is significant, right? So I'm, I want to hear your estimation of how many games you think the Astros could win and how realistic it is that they could win the whole thing.
1: So on paper – To to just go with that, they are, let's see, 3.8 more projected ahead of the Yankees, which would make them about a 102-win team, and the Yankees about a 98-99-win team, Um, which makes the Astros the best in baseball. Um, Unlike the Yankees, their depth isn't amazing. Um, The back of their rotation particularly scares me. Lance McCullers Jr. is their number three starter right now i've read that he'll be limited to about 120 innings coming from tommy john surgery so right there that's about 40 percent of a season that they're gonna have to fill with another starting pitcher um you know verlander and Granke are both 36 verlander's almost 37 um carlos correa has had his back issues um you know kyle tucker will probably be ready to take a step forward but the question is at what point will they hand him that right field job um As for the cheating yeah, we don't know what effects it had. And if they end up winning 90 games instead of 100, well, we can't just assume, oh, it's because they're not cheating anymore that they got worse. Um, So I think if anything, the effects from that will be less the not cheating and more just the constant media attention that they'll be facing and how well will they be able to deal with that and, you know, they'll get booed everywhere they go. Yeah. So, um, it would not at all surprise me to see them win at all. But, um, I think it's more likely that they're worse than their projections say that they will be largely because of just the constant noise around them, as well as just from a baseball standpoint, their lack of depth. And, and to me, without, without Garrett Cole, without Robinson Chirinos, um, without Wade Miley, without Will Harris being a, a worse team, a worse roster than they were last season.
3: I want to talk to you about the Twins and what you have to, th- what you have to say about them. Um, Buster only tweeted that the Twins could possibly have the best offense in MLB history. Do you think that's an overreaction, and what are your expectations for the Twins this year?
1: Um, you know, I don't think it's quite an overreaction because I mean they set the major league record for home runs last season. Right. And now they're you know, they're losing Jonathan Scope and CJ Crone who combined for something like forty home runs last
0: season. Nelson Cruz?
1: No, he got his option picked up. So he's he'll be back. He's forty, but he doesn't seem to age, so I think he'll still be really good. Um and then of course they added Josh Donaldson. So I, I don't think it's an overestimate. or or an overstatement but so much of it comes down to the baseball itself is it still going to be quote-unquote juiced or um you know will the 2020 production run um if we just assumed that this was nothing intentional on the league's part and it was just a a, a manufacturing thing will the 2020 production run be different and will there be fewer home runs um that remains to be seen so i I don't know if in terms of home run output they'll be even better than they were last year. But I, I see no reason to believe that on a on a you know, league adjusted, environment adjusted rate basis that they'll be worse than they were.
2: Alright, so I want to talk to you um about the like bounce back candidates for this for this year. Uh who who do you th- like who are you looking for to have a big year that sort of took a step back or didn't have a great year last year? Um, I think Edwin Diaz is the easy pick because
1: he went from you know elite to really bad and even if the true even if even if he only bounces back to being somewhere in between which would be like a three-ish era that's still a really good guy to have especially with a pretty solid looking bullpen like the mets have um i think let me look around the league here and see um i would i don't know if he will but i would like for miguel cabrera to hit more than 12 home runs um this coming season because um you know in in his prime he was just so fun to watch and so good and um now he's pretty clearly just a shell of himself at the plate um 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 same with albert pujols for that reason but i i think he's long gone as a good hitter um more of an injury bounce back but um Giancarlo Stan having a full healthy um you know season at his 2018 level would be very welcome to the Yankees um Vladimir Guerrero wasn't bad by any means but um I think had higher expectations than than he ended up producing to, so I would love to see him take a big step forward and, and become the monster that, that everyone still expects him to be um those are the big ones off the top of my head. I think um, Robinson Cano also um, really turned it on towards the end of the season, but you know, right? It was always right when he was getting going. He pulled his hamstring or or whatever. Um, so, um, I, and I think the Mets need him as a force in the middle of the, that lineup. Um, and then, um, yeah, I'll leave it at that. But there's, there's always a lot of guys around the league who you just want to get better and that their teams are relying on to get better
2: this isn't so much as a bounce back candidate as it is like we expect a lot more out of him but what do you think about chris bryant he won an mvp just three years ago and he hasn't been nearly as good since that season so like what are your thoughts on kb and what do you expect out of him this season
1: um i think a lot of it unfortunately his injuries i know in 2018 he had that nagging shoulder injury that just kept flaring up and he probably wasn't on the injury list for as long as he should have been um and only produced 2.3 war and what was still a pretty good season where he was 26 percent better than league average um last season he rebounded to more like five wins um but really just got a lot worse as the season went on i think it was mid july maybe where he tweaked his knee um in san francisco and that just never really got better um there's no reason to believe to me that he's a worse player than the one who went six war eight war seven war in his first three seasons but um that's also a matter of has he fully recovered from those injuries the past couple of years, which I haven't seen anything to indicate he hasn't. And I think more importantly is, is there a better plan in place to keep him healthy and to, if he hurts himself to not just have him play through it? Because when you play through injuries, you exacerbate those injuries and then they just linger on for the rest of the season. Whereas you could put him on the injured list and, and make it a two week thing. And then, you know, he's back to being a beast. So um, I think he's still a really good player, but, Um, the expectations have been tempered by his injury history as well as how those injuries have been handled.
2: Yeah, and then uh, one more player I wanted to touch on, and this guy was, like, he kind of was, he was really good and then completely fell off the face of the earth because of an injury. Scooter Jeanette, he was, he had an unbelievable year for the Reds, and then he, he got hurt, and then he was traded to the Giants last year and was just absolutely miserable. I believe he's currently still a free agent. But do you expect, like, any anyone to pick him up? And, like, can he still have a productive, like, rest of his career?
1: I mean, someone will pick him up. I would guess that right now the issue with him is, is that he's probably looking for a major league deal that isn't out there Um, with, with so many second basemen out there on the market and he'll probably have to settle for one of those minor league deals where it's kind of a wink-wink situation where, like, you're signing a minor league deal now, but if you make it through spring training healthy and you look good, well, you'll be on the opening day roster. Um, he's only 30. There's no reason to believe that he can't still be a, a really good player like he was in 2017 and 2018, um, you know, at least against right-handed pitching, but um, – like with Bryant, it's a kind of situation where you've got to make sure he's really healthy. He might have rushed himself back um, in 2019 to, to show himself off in a walk year, and it just didn't work out well. Um, but because of the injuries, there's there's no reason for me to believe that at his age he can't be a good player again. It's just, you know, again, it's a matter of making sure he's 100% healthy before he, he plays again. And the For him, that means having to take a minor league deal. Then I think, you know, it's January 23rd. We're almost at that point where he'll he'll have to settle for one.
0: Okay. I only got two more questions. Um, The first is, who are, in your mind, the most overrated and underrated players in the game? I think we hear Bryce Harper constantly thrown out as a guy uh, who really isn't what everyone hopes or at least thinks. Um, I, I I like his walks. I think he's a great player, uh, but I want I'm interested to, to hear what you think. Um,
1: I think overrated at least in terms of how his team values him. I don't think the fans really see him like this. Would be Jose Abreu. I think that. There wasn't a real reason for the White Sox to value him as a three-year, fifty million dollar player yeah. for his ages thirty-two, thirty-three, thirty-four, or uh, thirty-three, thirty-four, thirty-five seasons. Um, he hasn't been; he hasn't had a really good season since twenty seventeen, and he's obviously just getting older. Um, obviously, a ton of value to to those young guys who look up to him; those um, his fellow countrymen from Cuba, Yulian Moncada and Luis Robert, but. Um, you know, he's a guy that they're probably still going to be hitting third for um, a couple more years when he's probably more like their fifth or sixth best hitter right now. Um, as for underrated, um, I'll throw Luis Arias from the Twins out there. Um, like 23 years old, really good rookie season. Um, only hit, I think, one or two home runs, so kind of flew under the radar. But I mean, the bat to ball skills are incredible. Um, he can probably be a decent or better second baseman, but, but even if he's a guy who just doesn't stop hitting and only hits for average, that's still an incredibly valuable player. Um,
0: Jeff McNeil?
1: Yeah, I'm a big Jeff McNeil guy. Um, I love the, the power that he kind of turned on in the second half without selling out too much of the batting average. Um, if that power stays, then he's a guy that they can really hit anywhere, one through three in the lineup. Um Underrated, underrated. Um, um, I mean, Jonathan VR, really good player. I just like him. Four-war four season. Um, and, you know, almost got non-tendered by the Orioles because they're cheap before the, the Marlins traded for him. So... But, you know, having a guy who can play... Second base, shortstop, third base. They might even have him play a little bit of outfield this season. Um, is a really valuable guy to have. He's got speed. He's got power from both sides of the plate. Um, so it was pretty surprising to see that there wasn't a ton of trade interest in him. But, um, you know, he, he's a flawed player. He's not a great fielder, and he'll strike out a lot. But but he's a good
0: player, and I think one that, that people kind of forget about. Okay, uh, the last one. I get it. You're not a football guy. But there's a big game coming up soon, the Super Bowl. Who, who do you have? Um,
1: gosh, I actually have been paying some level of attention to the playoffs. <laughs> and, um, gosh, it's tough because it's there's not really an underdog team. Like, if you told me it was going to be a 49ers Chiefs Super Bowl, I, like, around the halfway point of the season, I said, oh, that makes sense. Um, You know, I wouldn't have expected the the Titans to make it as far as they did or the Ravens to get bounced in in the first round. But ultimately, you know, this result is kind of what we could have expected. Um, I think it's hard to bet against Patrick Mahomes. I agree. Um, I like Garoppolo a lot, even though he's basically a non-factor in their last game. (laughs) He just handed the ball off all game. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think... What we saw from from Patrick Mahomes this past weekend was just unreal, and I think kind of further solidifies that, you know, Lamar Jackson's probably the most talented quarterback on the planet, but right now I think Patrick Mahomes is still the best quarterback
0: on the planet, and it's hard to to, to bet against that. Okay, I I think we just wanted to share our Super Bowl picks just so, you know, people know. I have the Chiefs. Jonathan, who do you I also
2: have the Chiefs. I think Patrick Mahomes is unbeatable right
3: now yeah as much as I love the 49ers defense I'm a huge Nick Bosa fan I just think the Chiefs offense is too overpowering and I don't think that the 49ers can keep up with them I agree
0: okay thank you so much for listening today to Inside and Out and a special thanks to John Becker for spending his time with us today we'll see you next time.